Mira, go. Go. Um, hi, everyone. This is SASI's podcast. Uh, SASI stands for South Asia Solidarity Initiative. We are a political collective based in New York City. And you can find us across social media platforms on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's probably how you found this podcast. So follow us there. Uh, we have a website, too, where we have information about our work and uh, kind of our points of unity, the values that kind of bind our collective together. Uh, I'll add those links to the description and any links or to any articles that we mentioned. I'll add that to the description of this episode. So uh, my name is Teresa and who all who are all my com- comrades here today? Hi, this is Sheila. Hi, this is Chaya. Hi, this is Nufel. Hi, hi everyone. So I'm going to I'm going to like uh, uh, hand it over to Sheila who's going to tell us what we're going to talk about today. So today we want to talk about the uprising for Black liberation that is happening right now. Um, Also have a discussion about solidarity and, and, you know, what allyship means more broadly. Being that we're all part of, you know, this political collective, all of us are involved in social movements, both through SASI um, and outside of it as well. So, of course, we've been thinking about this question um, of solidarity for quite a long time. So what does solidarity look like? It's, you know, it's very clear to to us um, that it has to be an ongoing lived practice that goes beyond this moment. And in this episode, uh, we wanted to discuss, you know, three very broad areas uh, first being, you know, obviously the physical and, and also virtual protests that are happening and what it means um, to protest um, and what it means, um, especially in, in terms of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, second, the countless solidarity groups that have um, arisen in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. And we also wanted to finally touch on the saffronization of BLM solidarity, the relationship um, between the Hindu right uh, with the BLM movement. Uh, we're going to spend some time talking about how Hindu right wing forces have really um, shown up in this movement and then co-opted um, this movement. So let's start with the protests, y'all. In, in New York City for weeks now, there have been protests several times a day in massive numbers in every, you know, part of the city, in every borough. Of course, the city has showed its true fascist sort of liberalism by imposing a curfew uh, a couple of weeks ago and unleashed, a, you know, a violent police force on protesters. Um, you know, my experience to start has been quite complicated. Uh, Most of the protests I have attended have been limited to Queens. And without a doubt, it's been, you know, very powerful to see people mobilize consistently in the way they have been doing. And, you know, many people have come out and said that this has been their first time to protest ever, which is, Mm -hmm. wow. (laughs) It's also been like so ironic to see so much police presence at protests and marches that are supposedly like anti-police. Yeah. Um, and I've also noticed like there's a vast spectrum of discourse that, you know, we see in, on, you know, during these actions. And also uh, like there's there's levels at which organizers organizers have been liaising with the police, which has been like a huge, obviously disappointment, but also frustrating because 
some of these actions I've been to have seemed like straight up police led marches or rallies, mm-hmm. whatever. Absolutely. And like, there's been like so much energy being put on like prioritizing that we work in the confines that the police allows us to be in. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, to me, there is, you know, I, I don't want to start off in this like super cynical way, but like yeah, there is yeah. no empowerment in that, right? Like, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like, a really sad reminder that like this is how much power the police really has on us that we don't even have the right obviously to like free movement gathering without mm-hmm. being surveilled and like overseen and like led by the state by the police in a moment where everything is so explicitly like anti-police and like yes like one particular protest that I went to and mind you like very innocuous sort of an action like full of mostly like white people like very we were just marching like and every few few blocks the protesters would have to like kneel down and the organizers would have to like basically like assure the police with this like righteous speech that like everybody's being peaceful and we should be able to continue and like even after mm-hmm. doing that, the police still kettle this in. And like, I know yeah. we're going to talk about like the, how the idea of nonviolence is also being wielded, you know, right now by Hindu right wing groups to really mm-hmm. distract from the movement. But like, yeah, mm-hmm. like that's been like my experience, of course, like it's been a very limited sort of geographically speaking, but yeah. yeah. Why? So what about y'all? What have your experiences been? I actually feel a little bit more inspired and empowered than that. And that's not to say that the police haven't been quite awful. So I've been to a lot of protests in both Manhattan and Brooklyn and a lot of things that have been crossing the bridges and taking the bridges between Manhattan and Brooklyn, some on foot, some on bikes. Mm -hmm. And The numbers of people that I've seen out there have been really exciting, like thousands and thousands of people. I don't remember seeing this many people out for for years. Um, And there's a certain critical mass of people beyond which it kind of doesn't even matter anymore. Like the cops are there, but like people, this is what I think is interesting. I think a lot of people have kind of lost their fear of law enforcement. Mm. And Mm. both in terms of kind of like standing there and getting used to facing them, and Mm -hmm. also in terms of the language that has become more mainstream about defund or even abolish police forces. Right, right, right. Really be talking about that language and what it means um, in mainstream conversation is is quite a drastic sudden change. Not like, you know, activists and abolitionists haven't been talking about this for many years, but Mm -hmm. that it's suddenly part of the conversation. And like, yeah, the police have reacted quite brutally in many cases. And in my own personal observation, and not just now, but for years, I think police um, react much more violently when they are, they take it personally, when they are yeah. the target of protest. When it's about yeah. a cause that they don't really care about or know about, they're, they can be pretty hands-off sometimes. But when they take right. it personally, they right. are very, very violent. But yep. the thing is, and- the irony here is like, do they not notice that when we're all protesting racism and police brutality, the more they respond in ways that actually illustrate what we're saying the more strength exactly. they give us. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the point that you made, especially about um, like how the police uh, don't care if it's not an issue that they un- uh, understand. I think that we definitely have experience with that when we do protests that, are, yes. that have to do with South Asia, right? Mm-hmm. The police are actually fairly, not always, they do uh, shift us from places, but for the most part, they're very uh, accommodating and we have some problematic uncles in our yeah. <laughs> spaces that have uh, 
to thank them and we have tried to kind of stop all that kind of thing from happening right so it's really different the protests that are happening right now um yeah i, I mean i just like i i think one of the things um i i second everything that you all have been saying i've also been feeling a lot of uh, appropriation from not just the cops in some of the uh, some of the uh, protests but also politicians so because of the coronavirus i feel like one of the things that has happened is that it's become very decentralized the protests have been yeah. happening all yeah. over all yes. over new york city in every borough in every neighborhood multiple times people are uh, protesting in their neighborhoods so there are multiple protests happening literally outside my window in the evening time i can hear the marches going by and sometimes i join them and sometimes i don't it's a uh, like it's amazing and especially like during the curfew sometimes I, uh, I, for the um, for the stonewall uh, uh, march we actually walked to manhattan with a friend uh, and that was really remarkable because i could see a lot of people marching so it felt like we were part of history in this really intense kind of way mm-hmm. and abolition was at the soul of that history uh, and i think that um, most people that i knew most uh, most of the protesters whether i was in physical space with or virtual space with recognized that the police presence was 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 problem and of course the ftp i just want to add like ftp4 um uh, the fuck the police for action that happened that was i think one of the most violent crackdowns uh, that had yes. occurred in all of the new york city rallies it was horrifying hundreds of people were arrested uh, and they didn't even really get a chance to do much it was um it was so uh, obviously a, a racist and violent and they were prepared for it um and you know and one of the other things that i have noticed about the protests in terms of like how like the kind of the politics of it is that for the while for the most part it is fuck the police and abolitionist in its nature there are uh, these pro- these organizers who have been organizing against these things like for example take back the bronx or decolonize this and all mm-hmm. of the different community organizations that make up that network this is this is part of something that has occurred for a long time you know they have been doing this forever and then there are these groups that are just kind of starting now and they have this need yep. this is a peaceful protest this is this this exactly. is that and they have never really walked in the middle of the road before like that so it's just like this really dramatic difference on who is also organizing it's both exciting but also kind of uh, recognizing that there is a very um, like a uh, like a fractured nature to some of these protests and but but that's how it kind of should be uh, that that it's not like a like a branded movement <laughs> it is a movement yeah. of ra- like it's a radical movement uh, it's an uprising which has multiple faces to it yeah, yeah. and uh- Yeah, I think Sarah, so you're right. This is an uprising. This is more of a revolution than yeah. just protest because things will change. That's the yeah. whole objective. Because on a personal front, um, until these protests starts, I've been very apprehensive when it comes to stepping out of the house. I mean, to just give you an example, we were talking in May about when do we get back to work, and I just. immediately told my manager that hey i'm going to be the last person to walk into office i don't think it is even appropriate <laughs> right right yeah yeah i told i told my manager that it's not even appropriate to talk about getting back to work in may because we're still in the first wave when when the protest started my yeah. mindset totally changed 
infection was the last thing in my mind yes when mm-hmm. we walk out, when, when we step out to participate in these protests we are wearing masks following the physical distancing norms as much as possible yeah. given the circumstances but perspective has changed we know that okay we're going to risk risk our life depending on what risk category you fall in but the, the movement is just a re- revolution for me just for the fact that people know the risk involved when they step out at this point in time given the pandemic yeah i mean i think the coronavirus has really dramatically changed what the protest looks like like i was looking at the massive and beautiful trans black uh, trans women's mm, trans people's yeah. liberation uh, protest and rally that just happened this past weekend and one of the things i noticed like even from like the crowd level is that there was like a like a visible distance between people it wasn't just if you look closely it wasn't just masses of people people were yeah. clearly even with like 15000 people people were maintaining distance overwhelmingly wearing uh, you know wearing masks masks and uh, also like so all of those things for me like uh, shows that uh, people who are going out to the protests this uh, for this for this um, you know uprising is are are people who care about community they're not people who don't care about coronavirus it's people who do care and um, you know well, and I, i think that it it wouldn't have erupted with this magnitude i'm convinced if it hadn't come on the heels of the mm, quarantine and the pandemic yep. i think that really shifted yeah. a lot of people's kind of view of um our reality and our structures yes. thrown into high relief and everybody's like everything in our lives has been thrown into question so many people's yes. lives have been unended the inequities have been yes. revealed and i i think that that has really fueled this emergence yeah absolutely and people have and this is not a this is not a positive thing it's not uh, anything but people have many people have lost their jobs yes. you know they have yes. lost yes. their absolutely. jobs and it's it's this this uh, riding anger over how our society mm-hmm. is structured uh, mm-hmm. that is that is tied into all of it and um and how that is tied into you know uh, very much deeply what black liberation movements are about yeah um So, so uh, I don't true. know if you were going to segue into the solidarity part of the conversation <laughs> or not but I have this brought to mind a quotation which I really like and I just saw it written up and um it's about it's the one it's Lila Watson who's an Australian Aboriginal activist I think is the first person to have said it and there's lots of versions of it it's the one about if you come here bringing charity you know go away if you yeah. come here because your liberation is bound up with mine then let's work together mm, in solidarity. Yeah. And so I don't even know if that's the right wording it's one of yes. those that's often probably misstated but I think that is what is going on. I think that's yeah. why so many people are coming out and are realizing things that they hadn't thought about before joining those who have been aware painfully aware of these things and fighting them for so long because yeah. everybody's like this system does not work. It is so yeah. unjust. Yeah. No, that's I That's so you, true. Yeah. So should we talk about the solidarity groups that have formed up? <laughs> sure, sure. And like I was just going to add like while just like a month ago it was like inconceivable to picture yourself in like, you know, a crowd. I feel like increasingly people are realizing like that the pressure needs to be kept up and they are adapting mm-hmm. their own lives to this moment in that like 
you know, there's a lot of resources now that are popping up that about like, oh, oh, in order for you to continue protesting, like these are the sort of like health things yeah. that you need to be doing, right? Like you need to continue, like make sure you're being tested, you know, uh, yep. tested every yeah. whatever week or two weeks. So it's just like yeah. the the shift is happening in that way instead of like compromising this very powerful uh, movement. And that's, that's yeah. how sh- it should be. Um, but yeah, I know y'all have a lot of thoughts about the groups that have been <laughs> popping up in response to, you know, police brutality. So what do y'all think of them? You know, First of all, I want to kind of just uh, <laughs> like define what I mean. Uh, so mm. at least in South Asian communities, I don't know. Like one question I have is that if it is happening across other ethnic groups, I think it is, but I don't have a sense of it as strongly as the South Asian communities because I'm South Asian, right? So I, I feel like I have, at, at first it was kind of exciting, but then it was like overwhelming. Um, there's all these groups, there's like, uh, you know, different, uh, you know, uh, Tamils for Black Lives, Bangladeshis for Black Lives, uh, South Asians for Black Lives. There's all these like different uh, iterations of Desi commu- identities for Black Lives. Um, and sometimes it is just like a graphic, but sometimes it's an actual group, right? It's an actual group that has formed and is discussing things and having like a, 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 like a organized virtual or real life organization. Uh, so I joined, without naming like <laughs> what the group is, I joined one of these that matches like my uh, ident- regional identity. Uh, and I have a lot of <laughs> not great feelings about it. Um, so well, I mean, we're going to hear, we're going to hear insider information now. Oh, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm not, go ahead, go ahead. I, I want to oh, no, hear sorry. if y'all have been exposed to this or y'all have had any thoughts on this. I mean, I have thoughts not on any specific grouping or specific organization, but I have, this is an observation in general. I think there's something really specific about the South Asian community is, are its internal tensions and conflicts and hierarchies. And so this is just in my observation that's becoming very evident in this moment that there's always been um, where the South Asian community is racialized has always been a little bit ambiguous. It depends on your caste, on your religion, on your national yeah. origin, on your class. And so within the community, so not only how you're perceived by mainstream society, but where you try to position yourself and there's not just one way. And so yeah. I think that there's a long tradition of say upper castes of our Hindu, you know, professionals, trying to position themselves as white adjacent as um, to honorary white status by yeah. differentiating themselves by taking on anti-blackness Islamophobia because that goes along with the Hindu rights characteristics that they already have they're like oh this is great we're already having an infinity for these things that will give us white status will you know yeah versus those who are marginalized and oppressed and disfranchised within South Asian communities who see much more clearly, they are in solidarity with um, other immigrant groups, with black and brown, you know, working class um, coalitions. Like there's been, this has always been this spread within the South Asian community. And actually yeah. there's, a, there's a book about this, Faces um, <laughs> Divided, which one of our comrades oh, yes. wrote, which is actually <laughs> talks a lot about that. And, and, the, and our comrade's name is? 
Sanjay Mishra. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, Sanjay Mishra's book, Desis Divided, is a very good book. And that actually does a really good job, ethnographic study on Desis in the diaspora. And all of the things that you just talked about. Um, my like issues with the group, I have multiple. I, I think I, I'll start with the good. I think when I heard the letters for our parents in uh, the, the, the my regional language, I sat and wept. Not because what it was saying was some great content in fact in english it sounds really like okay pretty mm-hmm. basic but because i'd never i didn't even realize i'd never actually heard this language being talked about in terms of like american racial justice um, yeah. politics in malayalam you know in Malayalam, you know, so I'd never yeah. really had that experience. And so when I heard it was so beautiful and this was like, oh, this is, this is, this is something that I can say to, uh, that felt very tangible and very useful. But, but that was like the high moment and it was, it's only been downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it's been um, downhill from there. And I think that one of my biggest problems is how, how very narcissistic these spaces have been. Um, there's been very little, like the, the organizing has been very insular. Like I want to organize with my community, like my regional community, uh, my South Asian community. I don't like, and very little kind of even interest, I would say, in getting to know what uh, black organizers in the neighborhood or movement or region is doing. Instead, there is this kind of very, oh, you know, there is um, 400 years of oppression. How can, and like uh, talking, creating this very low hanging fruit talking points about super racist things. Like I was listening to one of these dumb I, I don't even want to I, I don't even know what to say like it was so embarrassing it was they, they see solidarity for black lives thing and it was all like they had an hour of like responding to super racist things I'm like really you need to listen to a podcast on how um you know like black people's humanity matters like you have to sit and listen and say inane things like this to each other um, that's not just a given. That's not something you're already doing. I mean, I know that's harsh, but it made me angry how, like, how it was. Like, it it didn't feel it didn't feel useful. It felt more like, oh, I want to kind of um, monetize this and create knowledge and create a product that I can kind of use in a careerist monetized way within my own very particular networks that are have not thought about this at all so that sounds gross and but also representative right like of what a lot of groups and what their sort of quote-unquote solidarity looks like and how superficial it really is yeah yeah absolutely and i I, go ahead no i i just want to add meaning add to what chaya spoke about right so the right-wing groups here trying to align themselves more to white supremacists because of their anti-black and Islamophobic views back home. I want to add another dimension. This is very close to me and I, it affects me whenever I see this, which is these some, some of these groups who are blatantly supporting 
um, caste-based oppression and religion-based oppression back home are now acting woke and talking about the movement. Yes, Black Lives yeah, speak on it. it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I am split here as to whether talking about this in this context is trying to co-opt it. But for me, this is something that personally affects me. As someone who has been discriminated based on religion as well as caste for years, I yeah. see these same people talking about Black Lives Matter and talking about racism in the U.S. Yeah. I, yeah. There, is a, there is an argument that, yes, talking about one cause helps them see what they're doing wrong with in other aspects, but just as someone who's been oppressed, I'm not able to give them the benefit of that. Yeah, Time no, would answer no, it, whether true. they would... Yeah, for, it's just my personal opinion that for me, it looks like just performative allyship. They're just doing this to sound woke cool or yeah. cool, but I'm not able to buy this because I see this back, happening exactly back home to me. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. And like, even when that narrative is pushed a little bit, like I've seen how limited it is, because like a lot of South Asians have used this moment to like talk about like colorism and like yeah. skin lightening creams and all that. Yeah. And like, of course, like that is definitely an issue. And we should always be talking about that. But like the larger point, like you were saying, Teresa, about like black liberation is just missed like you know it's like how are you centering black lives like you know how are you questioning the role of racist policing both here and back on the continent Mm -hmm. right like how are you making the connections between anti-blackness anti-dalitness brahmanism well they're not that's the thing they're not they're they're trying to look good because that's what you do to look good these days they're totally hypocritical and like, I mean, we just have to make sure, like, not to co-op this really powerful moment, and like, ha- like, have to go beyond just colorism. And like, are you falling for this reformist, you know, logic that has always given more power to the police yeah. and the state, or are you actually um, listening to black queer abolitionists who've been doing this work for decades now? And I, I mean, there's a, you know, a lot. There's a lot there, but it's no, to me that's that's like real solidarity like you have to make those connections you have to make those connections exactly i mean i think that one of the things there was recently the indian press indian media reported on what is happening with through like a south asian like an indian perspective uh, understandably and they quoted uh, uh, they put i like I read the whole thing and they quoted many many people including you know uh, you know the like dalit activists like tanui uh, who's a movement leader and then others also uh, but but, but I think um, one of the things that I immediately noticed, it was whatever, it was fine article actually, but one of the things I did notice was that the way in which it was framed was that South Asians are very marginalized in the US and black communities uh, have always welcomed South Asians and no. therefore South Asians should give back and not follow uh, the model minority. It also had like a dis- very, very awkward discussion about model minority myth. Uh, stuff and the yeah. way it described was oh you know uh, immigration allowed the cream of the crop to come to the U.S. I'm like Ew. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm so, what did you say? Gross. Cream of what? It's such caste language, right? It's yeah. also replicated in yeah. bureaucracy, like purity, <laughs> and like oh, 
Yeah. Yeah, the creamy layer. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we are obsessed with cream I, and whiteness and all of that. Oh, like, it's gross, right? Brahmins are not yeah. the cream of the crop. There's no crop. There's no cream. Gross, gross, yeah. gross. <laughs> so, like, there was, there was this way, and you know, there, it's also like indicative of who they see as South Asian as this professional upper caste person yeah. Yeah. you know and this is the person that represents South Asian who needs to show solidarity it's not the Dalit person it's not the Muslim person and it's often not the non-Indian person too it's always really right. India centric and it's so in, in all of this it's it uh, like our identities gets washed in this very uh, Brahmanizing way but also yeah. that solidarity becomes meaningless and performative and really about like mimicking American politics badly without really understanding the struggle of a people. Um, yeah. and, so, and, and it's really surprising to me how little police or even for like police brutality, except in the yeah. most superficial way, is even touched on. In, instead, just like you yeah. said, uh, Sheila, it's more about like, oh, we have fair and lovely, which is horrible <laughs> totally. and terrible, and we need to burn fair and lovely, but <laughs> nobody's talking about fair and lovely in these protests, you know? Well, and that's yeah. another thing that I've noticed about that the sort of the, the person that presents themselves as a model minority or a good immigrant in differentiation from those bad minorities and bad immigrants, they are not questioning the system. They want in. They want entry into the system. Absolutely. Solidarity means taking part in dismantling that system from wherever you are located. And the most sort of insidious sort of manifestation of this is the saffronization, right? Like of all these actions and like the relationship. So let's talk a little bit like, you know, before we wrap up, like how is the Hindu right now showing up? They've done a very good job, of course, to, you know, like sanitize and whitewash their identity um, and really infiltrate even quote unquote progressive uh, movements. And BLM is is no sort of different. Um, So let's talk about that. What sort of actions um, have y'all been seeing from Hindu right wing forces? Well, there's two major things I have seen. One, uh, one is in the one is of course our uh, most like one of the most I think malicious and funded and visible Hindu right lobbying groups is the Hindu American Foundation. Oh God, um, yep, they there have been are very, very well funded propaganda just machine. Like literally, that's that's what yeah. their job is. Yeah, they're <laughs> like they're, they're they're horrible, right? And so they have been uh, you know writing statements, writing articles tweeting all of this about this and and you know they have claimed that they're going out to the protests and you know they're they're they have some words to say about um so you know the peaceful nature of it and all of this and buried in the statement is oh and we must you know build relationships with the police we must build (gasps) relationships oh my god it's a very pro-cop line of course typical on-brand haf it doesn't, it like kind of uh, buries it in a lot of liberal nothing words. And, and yeah. right in the middle of it is like, oh, there you have it. Go talk to the police and build relationships with the police. Um, and from H, so, so that's one kind of hard right Hindu group that has kind of used the Black Lives Movement to uh, liberalize their own very fascist, very violent, very pro-cop and very anti-Black agendas uh, and and anti-Dalit agendas, all of those, they have used the BLM social movement to sort of 
hide behind. Um, and the other very important side of it, the flip side of it is groups in UK have been accusing BLM protesters of vandalizing uh, Indian uh, restaurants um, and Indian like Gujarat, like there's a Gujarati restaurants in UK that was vandalized. And there was this Twitter handle was like, oh, look at what these BLM protesters are doing. Uh, they're vandalizing, yeah. they're not here. So just very, a lot of very anti-Black rhetoric. Um, yeah. And turns out she kind of made it up that it wasn't like, it wasn't like this. So, so the way she made it sound was that this Gujarati restaurant in somewhere in the UK was targeted, but they, that wasn't true. In fact, that restaurant themselves was like, they, they're lying. Yes, we were vandalized, but there's no indication that we were targeted before because we were Indian or anything like right, that. Right, right. Um, so there's been a lot of that, um, that kind of right-wing rhetoric that is trying to sort of um, you know, uh, uh, taint uh, uh, and like uh, animate a lot of kind of anti-black uh, uh, sort of um, rhetoric against like vandalization and like looting, um, and uh, the Gandhi statue, <laughs> the oh, Gandhi statue, yeah, and course. all of that has been kind we? of a. <laughs> they come in. They come in for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I we just cannot wanna... talk about racism and not mention Gandhi or in house cases. Yeah. yeah. So there's been two instances, major instances, just in this uh, in this iteration of Gandhi statues being uh, vandalized. One is in Washington D.C. Somebody wrote apparently, uh, put like uh, orange paint and wrote rapist and racist on the on the statue, and they have like mm. covered it up. You know, sh- <laughs> <in the> sharam. <laughs> <laughs> and then same thing in the UK there's been like a like a group of like community member I saw a video of it, it looks yeah. really sad like people like are like standing vigil across like That's standing outside so the, funny. Ga- like saving Gandhi from the from oh the God. vandalizing it's, it's really sad so um so I but but what is funny about that also is that I have literally maybe read half a dozen articles from uh, various uh, Indian writers uh, talking about the BLM movement. And then, of course, must connect it to Gandhi in some way, like Gandhi's nonviolence. Gandhi. Yeah. Can we bring back the Ambedkar and W.B. Du Bois connection? Yeah, yes, yeah, of course. exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that they, I, I'm actually pretty surprised how many people have not been discussing Ambedkar. I mean, not counting Dalit groups, uh, like equality. Well, labs, that's because, like, done, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, right, because like, upper castes are just not going to do it. And that's, it just goes to show like they're the ones, like ha- the lack of those connections, again, that we were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like Ambedkarites, uh, of course, always like will discuss those yeah. obvious connections and those real historic connections. But the mm-hmm. but there's been like a slew of articles that have been kind of talking about Gandhi's nonviolent protest and how Ga- Gandhi faced racism and all that. And of course, as we all must know, Gandhi was uh, very race was very racist. He believed in racial segregation. Definitely. He was, and he's he's like pre- pretty disliked in South Africa. Where he's doing all he is. Things. There is more of a recognition there because his whole thing was trying to align himself with, you know, the yeah. the whites and be like, you know, we want equality, but like we're not like, you know, those blacks. So yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. I mean, Gandhi. Gandhi did play a significant role in India's freedom fight movement, but 
that doesn't mean we shy away from calling him out on his racist behavior yeah right and also freedom for whom like you know he completely um always sort of Uh, you know continued to marginalize like dalit and poor voices it was just like yeah 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 i mean i think there's also like a need to hide caste i think one of the things that yeah. um, people have been saying i think it's actually important that south asians deal with their casteist shit we are uh, south asians are racist because they're casteist you cannot actually be anti dalit yep. and for black lives i don't exactly. act, that's not a pos- that's that's not possible right so that's actually and- if we're supposed to be wrapping up in a couple of minutes like i i love that thought of like how do south asian diaspora groups work in solidarity is like to abolish white supremacy in the united states goes hand in hand with abolishing caste and brahminical supremacy in our absolutely yeah. like those absolutely. two things are so linked together absolutely they're very much linked and i i want you cannot do one without the other you cannot do one without the other i agree yeah we are running right. out of time but i'm sure right and also just it. like moving past this like non-violent essentialism um yes. to then vilify the really powerful movements that we're talking about you know the statues yeah. that we're seeing topple down i mean we all saw like the what's his name uh colston statue that was toppled Um, yeah in in bristol like that was really really powerful and really it's yes. like we need to be a little more ungovernable and that action was so powerful like it was yeah. like the ungovernability of it was more powerful like than the actual removal of the statue itself and like that's tr- people taking their power back you know yeah. so that's something that south asians just have a really hard time with and most people do i but. think i i think it's a like a version of the model minority myth kind it of is. fixating with respectability politics like like oh you know our movements are non violent and it's like exactly. no exactly what gandhi was actually yeah. very violent frankly like and violence a, happens in different ways <laughs> right like, like yeah this is kind of i mean it's not that yeah it's just a very um, i i actually think it's a very anti black rhetoric that is yep, being yep. deployed when uh, south asians feel the need to explain the peaceful nature of protest um Okay, so let's wrap okay. up because it looks like we are running. We got lots time. of future topics. I know. Yes. <laughs> I'm like taking notes. Um, so we're gonna wrap up. I hope y'all, you know, hope y'all found this episode helpful, or it helped to, you know, to you to think about what your role in this moment is. So we're gonna try and do another one of these, hopefully, sometime soon. Cool. Um, thank you for listening, everybody. And stay thank safe you. out there. Thank yeah. you. Bye, Bye JB. 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 <laughs>